Hello and welcome back to another episode of Talking Terror brought to you by the Terrorism and Extremism Research Centre here at the University of East London. I'm John Morrison. Today's podcast was recorded on the 31st of January at approximately uh, 8.45am London time. As always, if you want to find more about our research or anything we do here at the centre, please uh, follow us on Twitter at T-E-R-C-U-E-L and tweet at us with the hashtag TalkingTerror. Also, be sure to check out our website, uel.ac.uk slash T-E-R-C to find out more about what we do. So, without further ado, it's my great pleasure to welcome onto today's uh, pod, Petter Nesser. Petter is a senior researcher at FFI's Terrorism Research Group. He is trained in the areas of social science, Middle Eastern studies and Arabic at the University of Oslo and the American University in Cairo. Dr. Nasser has conducted extensive research on militant Islamism, jihadism in Europe uh, for more than a decade while focusing on motivational factors, recruitment and radicalization processes. He has communicated research findings in Norway and internationally through academic conferences, speeches uh, before public sector and NGOs and in the media. Petter, thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. Thanks for the invite, uh, John, uh, and thank you for the opportunity to, to talk about my research. No problem, no problem. So how did you get involved in this area of research to begin with? Well, um, I, there was no master plan, and I think that's quite usual for people ending up doing this uh, kind of research. Uh, I was studying uh, political science, history and Arabic at the University of Oslo. And uh, uh, towards the end of my studies, I, I applied for uh, a job as a research assistant uh, at the Norwegian uh, Institute of, of uh, Foreign Affairs, uh, which had a cooperation with the Norwegian Defense Research Establishment, or the FFI. Uh, and uh, I ended up as uh, a research assistant uh, for uh, Professor Brynja Lea uh, at the FFI who was uh, heading uh, the terrorism research group at the FFI, which has existed, ex existed since 1999. So uh, I just started to work for him. Uh, and this was back in 2003. And I, I finished my master's uh, thesis within the framework of the project, uh, uh, focusing on, on European jihadism from, from the very start. Okay, and um, when you were doing this, uh, when you were doing this research, what kind of, uh, whose work was influencing you? Um, who were you reading to really get up to date on what the academic understanding of these areas were? I mean, uh, when I first started uh, at the FFI, um, I read broadly, uh, of course. Uh, um, this research project was, uh, from the very beginning, uh, you know, um, basically uh, doing many studies on, on different topics within the terrorism research field. Uh, but uh, around the time when I was, was hired, uh, there was a specialization uh, towards uh, uh, jihadism and, and militant Islamism. Uh, so so uh, I was uh, exploring uh, the, the early literature uh, within, within that, uh, that field. Uh, so, so there are many authors, of course, and and, and uh, my my main inspiration are, are uh, or is or was basically my my, my boss at the time, <laughs> Brynja Lia, who 
uh, has published uh, extensively on this topic and is, uh, I reckon him, one of the founding fathers of uh, jihadism research. So, you know, he, he wrote uh, uh, a well-known book about the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, and he also, uh, actually before 9-11, he was, uh, he was uh, uh, you know, uh, writing studies on uh, jihadism in Europe. Uh, uh, for instance, a report uh, about the Algerian GIA's uh, terrorist campaign in France in the mid-1990s, which was published in, in, in 2000, I think. Uh, so, so his work, of course, was uh, was important to me. Uh, but also, I, I, you know, when I when I was studying at at the university, uh, I took courses on transnational politics, uh, and my original plan was to uh, study the Muslim Brotherhood uh, within a within the framework of uh, transnationalist transnationalism the theory, basically. So, so that was my my, my entrance uh, uh, to, to the field, and, and that was uh, what what I was planning uh, from the outset. And then when I started at FFI, uh, Brynjar, uh, uh, you know, um, basically uh, uh, gave me some some sources uh, on a, on a uh, emerging uh, pattern of terrorist plotting uh, by jihadists in in Europe. So uh, I started to do. To look empirically into this, and uh, as I went along, uh, I of course read other works, uh, and uh, and and uh, you know there were many many different uh, uh, studies. But uh, I remember uh, Quinton Viktorovich's uh, book that was published uh, uh, in, in the mid 2000s was an important inspiration. Uh, I also um, got uh, inspiration from from a book by a former CIA analyst, uh, Michael Scheuer, uh, the, the, Through Our Enemy's Eyes, which basically was about uh, uh, the, the history of Osama bin Laden and, and, and uh, the emergence of Al-Qaeda. And, uh, and methodologically and theoretically, I was inspired by the work of uh, one of my former teachers, uh, Jeff uh, Chekel, uh, who whose courses I took on uh, on uh, tra transnational politics and and and, and theory. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about these these pieces, the the book by Michael Scheuer, like when you when you look at this book, it it can really demonstrate how uh, it's important to listen to uh, to what the militants say themselves, rather than to try and understand them through. Uh, established theories of what leads to violence. Why did, and I know when we were in contact before this interview, you were mentioning that this was a big piece for you, a uh, big part of that book for you that, that really inspired you. Why did you feel that this was important from reading Scheuer's work? No, uh, yeah. Uh, when, I, when I started uh, reading this, this book, uh, as, I, as I said, uh, I was—I just started as a research assistant at, at the FFI and didn't know anything about this field, basically. So uh, one of the major takeaways from reading that book, you know, I was reading it uh, on my way to work uh, on the bus, uh, and uh, as you said, it, it was uh, the way Scheuer uh, used uh, um, the, 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 the the statements uh, by the militants themselves, uh, you know, actually listen to what they had to say. Um, which uh, which which has been kind of a, 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 
uh, a guidance throughout my career. I really pay attention to what the militants themselves say about what, uh, why they do what they do. Uh, but uh, another um, thing I learned from, from, from reading, reading this work was uh, also how you can, when you're studying a, a transnational phenomenon like, like jihadism, you know, with events going on uh, in uh, various countries throughout the world, uh, you have to find some effective way to, to gather uh, uh, information. So um, I noticed how he was using uh, uh, just media uh, databases to uh, gather and extract information. Uh, and he, he did this, this uh, the way I, I uh, saw, saw it, uh, very carefully, you know, assessing all the pieces of information and, 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 uh, and uh, putting them together, triangulating sources. Um, and this was, uh, you know, for me it was, uh, uh, you know, uh, I wanted to see how, how I, I, I could, you know, follow the, the networks and, and, and the various incidents. Uh, that, that I, I was was um, uh, trying to uh, look into in the European case, and like so, this was inspiring you in uh, methodologically as well as the 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 broader focus of what the work was. And you'd say the the Jeff Checkel's work also uh, was giving was influencing you in relation to theory and method. So, what was it specifically about Checkel's work that was that was influencing you there? Oh, it, it was uh, very useful, uh, you know, uh, uh, when, uh, uh, because when you're studying a complex phenomenon like, like jihadism, uh, you, you, you want to simplify, right? You want to, uh, to, to try and make sense of a very complex and, and, and intricate problem. Uh, so what I learned from, from taking uh, Jeff's uh, courses was... Uh, or the main takeaway was was basically uh, how to integrate levels of analysis, you know, from the individual uh, level to the group level, uh, uh, you know, com uh, combining uh, information at the, the local level in a country where uh, you, you are studying a, a particular case, for instance, a terrorist cell operating in my case, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 also uh, what happens internationally, and. and you 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 just uh, or a trap we we sometimes fall into when when looking at uh, phenomena or, or when looking at transnational phenomena is that we we choose one uh, analysis level and focus on that only right so th so this is why we for instance uh, we 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 notice that uh, um, uh, many uh, jihadists are criminals or they come from uh, you know, uh, poor backgrounds or, or, or things like that, and then we focus on that element only. Or uh, if, if uh, as we saw in 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 um, in, uh, in relation to the attacks in in France in in November 2015, uh, and also the the following attacks in in Brussels by the the Abaoud network uh, in 2016, uh, 15, 16. Uh, you know, uh, all of the world was focusing on this suburb in Brussels, uh, choosing only that level of analysis and, and focusing on, on, on the problems of, of that 
segregated suburb. Whereas uh, if you are combining levels of analysis, you will you will look at uh, you know multiple levels at the same time. So you you will look at okay, uh, you have the the the, the, the problems in in in, in uh, this area where, where uh, quite few, quite a few of the terrorists were recruited, but you also look at the transnational net networking uh, that that was behind those attacks in throughout Europe and also the links to the Islamic State in Syria and Iraq, and also you you you, you, you kind of combine uh, what the terrorists or information about what the terrorists did and how the the the, the, the cell was was formed uh, with what the terrorists have communicated uh, surrounding the motives. So so that was you know how I I, I used. Uh, uh, this this idea of combining level levels of analysis to approach European jihadism, and and the other main takeaway from from uh, from following Chekhov's class was uh, process tracing. You know, uh, in my work, I, I I try to focus more on the on uh, mapping the chains of events that lead to a certain. Uh, uh, event, or in my case, the emergence of a terrorist cell, than looking at the structural factors. So, so, so I, I try to always trace, you know, every piece of information about the events that led uh, to the emergence of that particular cell. That's the, the that, that's what I do um, first, and and what I focus most on. And then I I try also to look at, you know, uh, other factors such as. Uh, structural, uh, uh, you know, explanations. Uh, in addition to that, and during this process, would you be able to let our listeners know about during this process tracing and the wider uh, process that you have? What kind of data are you using? Uh, where are you get, getting your data from? Well, uh, what what uh, as as I, as I said earlier. Uh, <clears throat> You know, my entrance is basically to to use media sources in a in a critical way. So so I, I the the first thing I do is is that I follow uh, cases uh, terrorist plots basically, which is which is which has been been the, the focus of my work, uh, both uh, planned, prepared, and executed attacks. So so I don't only look at the executed attacks, but also the the the, the plots that never you know, uh, resulted in attacks that were thwarted, uh, and 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 then I I use media sources first to to gather as much information as possible about that particular event, uh, and 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 from that um, I also uh, you know. Um, I also use these uh, media sources critically, so I don't, don't don't gather just one source. You know, uh, if I want to look at at the the, the background of a certain perpetrator, I, I gather you know amounts of different kinds of uh, articles about this this uh, this perpetrator, um, and then uh, I, I always want to triangulate. So I look for you know, uh, for instance. Uh, Statements that could be attributed attributed to the, to one perpetrator, um, whether it is in propaganda or during trials or, you know, um, 
uh, in memoirs or other kinds of information that you can basically uh, find on the internet in some cases or, or that you can find from documents or uh, also in interviews so 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 that's that's so how is how I go about it I, I try to as much as I can triangulate information uh, using mainly uh, media sources, uh, court documents, propaganda, and interviews. Okay. And the the final piece, so that that you mentioned that that really inspired you was uh, Quentin Viktorovitz's uh, Radical Islam Rising: Muslim Extremism in the West, which was published, as you said, in two thousand and five. Um, and within this book, you can see um, the interplay between leaders and followers and extremist movements. And you were, you were saying to me in our email correspondence that this was one of the re- key um, lessons that you brought from uh, Viktorovitz's work. How, what exactly was he saying about this and how did you draw this out for your own research and how did you develop it out? I think uh, when I first read Victorious, I was just fascinated by uh, the level of, of detail and, and how he used the sources in his work in terms of getting to understand the Al Muajiru movement in the UK and how he, he went about it and, and looked at the interplay between the leader, uh, Umar Bakri, and, and uh, the various followers and, and how they, they mobilized you know, uh, uh, this, this movement, which has had a, a major impact on. Uh, what I uh, look at as the new generation of, of jihadists, and 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 it is a major driver for the for the the, the threat we have seen, uh, or that we see today from from jihadi terrorism in Europe and and the IS. Uh, so so so, it was uh, I was just impressed by uh, his field work um, and 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 how he looked at different aspects of of, of this uh, this organization. Uh, and also how he managed to to uh, kind of get across that these organizations consist of very different kinds of people, and 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 that you have kind of uh, a structure where you have uh, charismatic leaders, investors, or what I in my research call entrepreneurs, uh, and then then you have uh, various kinds of uh, people more on the mid-level of the organization or movement that help the leader to to bring in new recruits and socialize them and and also uh, uh, I, I, I kind of noticed how, how, how this whole process is very dynamic and that people change roles and that, that they get assigned to different missions or get assigned to different roles. So basically what I did was that I, I tried to use the same kind of thinking um, and apply it to the formation of terrorist cells. Um, and when I, when I you know, looked at terrorist cells uh, in my work uh, and, and analyzed terrorist cells, jihadi terrorist cells in Europe from the mid-1990s until today, basically. Um, I saw that through through my process tracing, I saw that, you know, there were kind of a systematic, there was a systematic pattern uh, within how, how these cells uh, uh, were uh, formed. Uh, and, and, and 
and uh, and I think uh, you know Victoria's Bridge's uh, work was uh, something that that kind of helped me to 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 get to this uh, this kind of knowledge. And within the, this work that we're going to be talking about um, across the rest of the podcast is it, it's we're going to be discussing uh, your book which looks at jihadism in Europe um, and within this uh, this is really bringing together your years of work uh, and putting it within one venue and you mentioned uh, you mentioned there about uh, Bakri and uh, you talk about Chowdhury as well in in your in your research as being the new generation of terrorists uh, part, part of the new generation you talk about there being two interlinked generations of terrorists the veterans of say the GIA and train and uh, wider training camps as well, and then these Bakri and this Bakri and Chowdhury led generation as well. Could you, for the listeners, let us know about the importance of these generations and what uh, exactly uh, they meant to uh, to jihadism within Europe? Yeah, um, I think it's it's. Uh, um... Uh, I, I think perhaps the best way to, to look at it is to, is to kind of to simplify. It's is to talk about uh, the first generation as the support networks of Al Qaeda and uh, like-minded uh, movements, or you know, um, Al Qaeda-affiliated uh, movements, uh, you know, from various countries in in the Muslim world. But uh, of course, the Al Qaeda organization. Throughout the, the 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 history of European jihadism has been based in in Afghanistan and in 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 the border areas between Afghanistan and Pakistan. So um, much of what was going on with regards to jihadi mobilization, I'm not talking about uh, Islamism uh, more broadly, but but jihadism uh, uh, as such, um, you know, could be uh, broadly defined as Al Qaeda or Al-Qaeda affiliated support networks uh, throughout the uh, 1990s and uh, until the early or mid 2000s. And these networks were populated by people who, if we are, if we are generalizing, were usually first generation uh, immigrants um, they had kind of a connect connection to a mother group in the home country. Many or most of them had, had you know, spent time in Afghanistan in, in training camps linked to Al Qaeda. Um, and they, they, uh, they were kind of most of them or they, they were from Arab big countries. So, so it's an Arabic speaking movement. It's, uh, it was an Arabic speaking network. Uh, it was an Arabic dominated um, field, uh, basically. Uh, and then uh, over the years, um, from within these networks, new uh, organization and networks emerge. And uh, I think of Al Mujirun as, as uh, as such a phenomenon, you know, uh, it's it, it it's what was also you know functioning as an Al Qaeda support network in a way, uh, because uh, it it supported Al Qaeda through propaganda. Uh, it had the, the same 
ideological underpinnings uh, pursue the same aims as Al-Qaeda. But what was special about Al-Mujiruna and uh, the mobilization of, of Umar Bakri and then Anjum Chaudhary was, of course, that, that uh, they um, kind of reached out to young second-generation European Muslims and and uh, kind of translated the Arabic Al-Qaeda message into English and, and then to other European languages. And that they spoke uh, a language that resonated with the young. Uh, so so I, I look at this as kind of a, uh, not, not a, a gener generational shift, but more perhaps a, a kind of an evolution where you gradually see that the phenomenon becomes more Europeanized. And what was it about this message that they were putting out to this young second generation that was resonating? What were they saying to attract, um, uh, attract this new generation in? And how, uh, and you talk about it become more Europeanized, in what way was this taking place? Uh, I, you know, the way I read, uh, you know, both Umar Bakri, or Umar Bakri, uh, at least he, he, he wrote, you know, uh, many uh, works or, or texts, uh, and uh, also got publicized uh, many lectures and videos, and he, he was, he was uh, a very, uh, uh, he, he, he was doing all, all these, uh, these teaching sessions for 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 young recruits and and basically explaining uh, the jihadi ideology uh, before them. So, and and I, and I really don't think you know uh, if you're comparing uh, what he is is uh, what he was teaching the, the the youth with what's in 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 texts by other you know. Arabic uh, language ideologues such as Abu Qatada or, uh, you know, um, Abu Hamza as well, although he also preached in, or communi communicated both in, in Arabic and English. Um, it, it's, it's, not, it's not a new message, you know. Uh, they were just uh, teaching uh, jihadi ideology uh, in European languages. So, so, so I don't think it was anything new about the message itself. But it was presented in a way or in a language that was understandable, of course, but also uh, both uh, Umar Bakri and Anjem Shodori ha also had their way with the youth. You know, uh, they were, the way they held their, their, their lectures, uh, um, they were they were speaking to them, not, not, not uh, not like in a top-down way, but they were, you know, open to questions, discussions. Um, if you browse for some of the lectures, you will see that they really engage with the young people. Let them, uh, you know, let them come with their questions and then answer them. Uh, you know, or, uh, uh, pointing out uh, the evidence from various sources, uh, really engaging with them. So, so it's it's. I don't think it was something new about the message itself, but it, it was just done in a way that resonated with these uh, young uh, second-generation 
Europeans and also converts who are recruited into the movement. Um, within this as well, uh, throughout this time, what role was, say, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict playing and how much of an influence was this having on both uh, of these generations that you've identified? I think the, the, the Palestinian uh, conflict and, and the, the Palestine as a symbol is, uh, is uh, overall very important for the, for the jihadi movement, of course. Uh, it's, it's a major topic in, in, in the propaganda, in the, in, in the text, so, so it, it's, it's, uh, it's a very important symbol. Um, and also um, the interventions, you know, Western in interventions in in uh, Muslim countries is, uh, is a major trigger for what has happened. Uh, it's a major trigger for recruitment. Uh, it's, it's something being used in, in the propaganda to draw recruits in. And it's also a major trigger for attacks, you know. Um, so, 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 so these, uh, these are, are, are kind of the, the, the political motivations and, and the, the the, the symbols that, that, that are being uh, used to mobilize. So in my, in my work, I, when, uh, when, when, I, when I try to explain um, why and how terrorist cells emerge in different European countries and, and try to explain the, the, dif the, the difference in the threat level in different countries, I, I usually say that you know, <clears throat> interventions or, or you know, the the, the, the political uh, cases uh, uh, matter. Uh, and then I say that the networks or the distribution of networks matter more. Entrepreneurs matter most in terms of understanding the, 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 the variance in, in threat level throughout Europe. And what is it? So you talk about the entrepreneurs mattering most. And when we look at it, and this is, as, as we were talking earlier on, inspired by uh, somewhat by the work of uh, Quinton Viktorovitz, you talk about the entre entrepreneur, the protege, the misfit and the drifter. Could you explain exactly the why is it that the entrepreneur matters most? Uh, what is it that they what role do they play in the cell and what role do the others uh, to the other um, people play in the cell as well okay so so this is uh, kind of the, the the baseline model i i used to to try and understand uh, uh, why and how the terrorist cells emerge uh, and I, I distinguish between the entrepreneur uh, the misfit and the drifter and each of these types or roles within within a cell uh, within a terrorist cell uh, represent uh, you know the major drivers so the entrepreneur um, represents ideology and, and and the link to the conflict zones uh, the misfit represent you know the the grievance uh, structural problem problems poverty crime uh, social uh, grievances and then you have the drifters who who kind of represent the uh, the sociological or the social drivers, or the social uh, incentives for, for becoming part of, of, of a terrorist network. So, uh, when, 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 I, when I analyze these cells, I, I notice that nothing happens without the entrepreneur. And, and 
and, and the people I define as entrepreneurs in, in my work are, uh, they are the most resourceful people within a cell. Um, they are people who usually have quite some experience uh, being a jihadi activist. They have usually, but not always, spent time in conflict zones, and they are, you know, uh, they are, uh, um, they, they, they are uh, informed about ideology, and 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 they 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 believe in the, they are uh, ideological. Um, and, 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 and they are the ones that build these cells. That's why I, I call them entrepreneurs. So they build uh, terrorist cells and, 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 and networks. Um, the drifters are uh, the people who we have seen throughout the history of uh, European jihadism, uh, who are recruited from um, a bad situation in their lives. Um, that these are people who have drifted into crime, drug abuse, uh, or other social uh, problems. And then um, jihadism or uh, the entrepreneur uh, comes to them and, 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 and provides them with an alternative and a way to redeem themselves um, and, and, and uh, you know, provide them with a purpose in life. Uh, a life-changing experience. You can become part of this political uh, project. You can be some someone important. You can um, you, you 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 can be a moral warrior. You can you can do right uh, by yourself, by your people, by the people you identify with, by uh, by the Muslims of the world. You can uh, you know punish uh, uh, those who are leading a war. Uh, through being part of our project. And then uh, you have the drifters who are... You know, the, the, the reason I call the drifters is that, is that there, there's no systematic uh, pattern in their backgrounds, because among the drifters you can find people from, uh, you know, uh, difficult backgrounds, or, you know, they can be anything from low income to high income, they can be educated and not, not educated. Um, there's no, there's no, not a systematic pattern in their background, but what draws them into the cell is the social link to someone on the inside, and, and you know, usually the entrepreneur. So this is the the brother or friend uh, or you know relative of someone on the inside, who also becomes uh, kind of drawn into the the, the terrorist network or cell. Uh, by the entrepreneur and the message the entrepreneur provides. Uh, and in my work and in, in my uh, kind of uh, process in trying to understand these uh, or, or how uh, terrorist cells, jihadi terrorist cells emerge in Europe, this way of thinking has been key. Uh, and also by introducing the, the, the role of the entrepreneur and, and, and this profile or description of the, the entrepreneur is also a way to understand the transnational dynamics of the phenomenon. And so just to, to illustrate it, um, say we take the 7-7 bombers, for example, would you have seen Mohammed Sidi Khan as the entrepreneur within this group? 
and who, why would you have classified the rest of the group or did you see someone else uh, as the entrepreneur? Uh, no, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Mohammed Siddiqui Khan was absolutely the entrepreneur. I also, in my book, I also talk, talk about another uh, profile or, or role in the cell, uh, the, the, protege, the protege. Mm -hmm. uh, and I uh, defined uh, Shezad Tanwer as the, the protege of, of, of this, uh, this particular cell. Uh, and Hasib Hussain was the, 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 the misfit. So, so you know, these are not kind of exact. Um, it's, it's not like exact roles. It's, it's also a certain dynamic between them. You know, you mm. can have people playing uh, or being a misfit or coming into the cell as, as a drifter. Um, and then, you know, taking on another role throughout the, the, uh, the formation of a cell. Um, there are examples of that as well in the material that I've studied, you know, uh, where where you have a conflict um, rising between a misfit in a cell and the entrepreneur about basically the leadership of a cell. But but uh, in the case of the London cell, uh, Mohammed Siddiqui Khan is of course uh, was of course the the key person, and he and he was the one who who uh, who. Uh, recruited and socialized the others. He was the one who uh, transnationalized the cell by making the, uh, the the contacts with the militants in AFPAC. He was the one who eventually became the link into Al-Qaeda. Um, he was helped by by Shehzad Tanver in this process. Um, he was uh, Drawing in Hasib Hussein and Jermaine Lindsay, uh, or they, the two of them were, were drawing, were, were, were you know bringing along the others, who who played different roles, less important role in, roles in the formation of the cells, and 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 the uh, it it was also um, uh, Mohammed Siddiqui Khan and and Anton Ware who uh, who kind of. Um, the, it was only them who took the, the journey to to uh, to AFPAC and and did the training, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so 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 they were uh, kind of the the transnational element of that particular cell. But if you look at you know any cell from uh, even when you look back uh, to the mid 1990s when the Algerian GIA network uh, attacked France, you, you see the, the same kind of, of dynamics. And also, if you look at the IS cells today um, that have, uh, you know, launched major attacks in, in Europe, if you look at the Abaoud network, you will find some of the same, uh, some of the same uh, elements or the, 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 the same kind of pattern. And um, with, with this in mind, with this transnational connection that the entrepreneur and to a certain extent the protege uh, brings into it how do you address then the concept of homegrown terrorism uh, within europe um, do you feel that that it's a misnomer in a way uh, that it can be homegrown i think i think uh, uh, i think that the international or, or the weight of the international or transnational drivers have been 
underestimated or undercommunicated when we were talking a lot about home homegrown grown jihadism in the mid 2000s and and uh, that's that that relates to the, to the to the problem i was talking about earlier about uh, the way we we uh, kind of use levels of analysis uh, because if, if you choose to look at only the local dimensions of a cell, you can end up defining it as purely homegrown. But if you also investigate and look at uh, the transnational or interna international dimension, the, the dimensions of the cell, the plot will look differently, right? It will look perhaps more transnational or internationally guided or shaped than it initially did. So, so, so that's that's what I always uh, try to do in my work. Is that okay? Uh, when I look at a certain cell or a plot, uh, I uh, investigate the immediate information, and uh, at first it may look very local, it may look very homegrown, it may look uh, like uh, also like uh, it's an individual act. Um, by a certain person or two persons. And then when you investigate further and gather more sources and, and uh, when, when the, the, uh, the time goes, more, comes, uh, more information comes to the fore. And then you see a broader network, perhaps outside the local community, outside the country, within Europe. And then you see uh, the connections uh, online or uh, also through travels, you know, physical contact with networks in conflict zones. So, 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 so that's that's what I mean about always paying attention to uh, both the local and international dimensions or dimensional plots, and that's what I try to do in my work. Yeah, no, this is hugely important. And earlier on, you mentioned about uh, during the 90s, the GIA attacks in France. And it's important to note that your research here looks from the 90s right up until uh, the up into the 2000s. And I think it would be important for our listeners to hear um, what exactly was uh, jihadism in Europe looking like in a pre-Madrid bombing, pre-77 era? Um, what was the manifestation uh, uh, within Europe at that time? Well, uh, during the 1990s, uh, the main or uh, jihadism was um, was mainly support acti activism. You know, at that time, the, uh, uh, there were uh, a lot of jihadi networks in, in Europe uh, formed by uh, people who had spent time in Afghanistan during the, the, the end of the Afghan jihad, uh, becoming part of the Arab-Afghan uh, foreign fighter movement. Uh, many of them, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, being uh, being in touch with Al Qaeda or its aff affiliates at some point, uh, but the, uh, what they mainly were doing at that time in Europe, and a lot was going on in the UK because that was the kind of I address this as the nerve center of the uh, jihadi activism in Europe from early on, and it has played a huge role in the UK. Uh, jihadi community uh, in terms of uh, spreading the ideology and recruitment and mobilization because that's where 
that's where the most important ideologues and leaders and entrepreneurs were based in in that uh, period and also uh, throughout the the 2000s uh, but but during the 1990s it uh, there, there were quite few attacks you know um, in in europe uh, europe wasn't uh, among the jihadists uh, highly prior prioritized uh, target at that time and also um, there was ideolo ideological disagreements uh, about the legality of staging jihadi attacks in countries where many of the jihadis uh, were protected uh, because they had political asylum in, in, in European countries. So, so it was controversial to, to launch attacks in, in Europe. And, and the exception was when the Algerian GIA, who, which also was you know, connected to Al-Qaeda in the way that um, Al-Qaeda sent an agent or agents to help found this uh, this group, which was the most important uh, and, and, and main or most extreme, most militant, most violent uh, group, uh, Islamist group uh, fighting in, 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 in the civil war that raged in, in Algeria in, in the early 1990s. Um, and the, the kind of the, the exception from the the situation where Europe was mainly used as 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 a, a place for mobilization and support uh, networks was the uh, terrorist campaign that was executed by the GIA in France in from 19 from uh, during 1995 basically, but it started with a with a hijacking of an airplane in December 1994 when the members of the GIA uh, wanted to down an, an airplane that was hijacked in, in Algiers into Paris and, 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 and down it uh, over Paris. Um, but but the, the, this, this was uh, a specific uh, operation. Uh, this, this was, a, was a, a network that was initiated from Algeria uh, by the leader of the GIA at the time, uh, Jamel Zaytouni. And, uh, and he was uh, sending people to France, uh, cooperating with local homegrown elements in building a terrorist networks for an attack campaign in France, following largely the same pattern that we have seen uh, throughout the 2000s when Al-Qaeda uh, also uh, sent agents uh, to Europe or recruited agents among foreign fighters who were coming to AFPAC and sent them uh, to, to Europe to build attack networks in the 2000s. And we see the same pattern today with um, foreign fighters having been recruited by IS to build uh, attack networks for attacks against uh, European members of the anti-IS coalition today. Um, when we bring it uh, up to the more recent times now, Obviously, you're based in Norway doing your research. Um, and in recent times, Norwegian terrorism, the mo when people think of it, you would, you would think of Anders Breivik. But Norway and Scandinavia as a whole hasn't been, uh, has also been uh, touched by jihadism as well. What, uh, in what way has this taken place and what was the rationale behind this? There, there was a serious uptick in in plots in Scandinavia uh, from uh, you know after 2005 
And uh, the immediate reason for this was that we saw an elevated uh, terrorist plotting threat in linked to Denmark. And this, this was in the wake of the publication of the Mohammed cartoons in 2005, uh, which made um, kind of uh, insults against uh, the Prophet Muhammad, uh, a highly important theme in Al-Qaeda propaganda. And it was also used uh, to encourage attacks by individuals. So it contributed to the rise in single-actor terrorism by jihadists as well. Uh, because Al-Qaeda was using, uh, you know, old uh, texts by, uh, uh, by a, a theologian, Ibn Taymiyyah, to educate supporters and members of the networks that it was an individual duty for any kind of true Muslim to avenge insults against the Prophet, Prophet Muhammad. And, and so, 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 so the, this was part of the of the of the mobilization, and, and, it, and it, it it affected uh, the 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 threat level in Scandinavia to a large extent because many of the or most of the plots in Scandinavia were, were um, aimed at uh, cartoonists or Elon's Posten's uh, Posten, the the newspaper that that published the the, the cartoons in 2005. Um, and this was also the case, for instance, with a, an Al-Qaeda-linked cell that was, uh, that was uh, uh, thwarted here in uh, Norway in 2010, uh, which was led by uh, a, a Uyghur uh, who uh, had recruited uh, some uh, members for, um, for, for an attack against uh, probably against uh, one of the cartoonists in, in Denmark. So, so much, much of, of what has gone on in, in Scandinavia has been linked to, to the, the Mohammed cartoons. Mm -hmm. uh, but but, but there is also there's more than that as well, uh, because uh, throughout the years, uh, there have been a lot of support activity in Scandinavia, even uh, dating back to the 1990s. Uh, Back in the 1990s, the GIA had, you know, a propaganda cell in Sweden, uh, and and there have been, you know, small um, uh, networks of, of activists throughout Scandinavia supporting Al Qaeda, and in in since you know the outbreak of the Syria war, also IS, and there has been a lot of network connections between Scandinavian extremists and um, the community of jihadists in London. And um, especially the uh, El Muhajirun spin-off uh, Islam for for UK, which was played a major role in mobilizing the foreign fighting networks for Syria. And so that's that's Scandinavia. In recent times as well, we've seen a significant uh, focus on Belgium as well. Why? Why has Belgium been a focus uh, for jihadism uh, in recent times? And what role did someone like Farid Marouk play in this? What role did someone like? Uh, I think the Farid Marouk, is it pronounced? Or I, I've probably got the pronunciation wrong. Um, you mentioned him in your... Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Farid Marouk, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, uh, uh, according to 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 how uh, I kind of conceptualize the the the, the threat of saying that the interventions matter, networks matter more, entrepreneurs matter most. Um, Belgium has been targeted a lot because there has been substantial networks in Belgium for uh, an extended period of time ever since the 1990s where uh, when when the GIA was was building networks in Belgium and there was a lot of you know cooperation between uh, GIA networks in in France and Belgium uh, so it, it Belgium was was a support base it was also uh, a place for for uh, extensive weapon smuggling and other support activities for jihadists. So, uh, Farid Maluk was was one of the the GIA uh, militants who, who was also connected to the, the attacks in France in 1995, and who was uh, you know an entrepreneur among uh, these uh, fr uh, Franco-Belgian networks. Uh, like many others, uh, we were, uh, who played kind of entrepreneurial roles within the, within those networks. So, so for me, of course, Belgium is is part of the anti-IS coalition, like uh, uh, other countries. Uh, Belgium, Bel Belgium has been, uh, you know, part of uh, European cooperation to combat jihadism uh, internally and externally. Uh, ever since the 1990s and throughout the 2000s uh, as well. So obviously, from a jihadi viewpoint, Belgium is a legitimate target. But more importantly, Belgium has been uh, a place for uh, mobilization of jihadi networks. And, and, and uh, that, was, uh, th that happened through the 1990s, as, as I said, with the support activities also through the 2000s. And, uh, and and towards the end of the the the, the two thousands, uh, Belgium became home to one of the strongest branches of the um, UK spin-off or, or the Islam for UK spin-off Sharia for Belgium network, uh, which which uh, you know uh, sent a lot of uh, uh, militants uh, as foreign fighters to Syria and Iraq, first joining Jabhat al-Nusra, the Al-Qaeda-linked Jabhat al-Nusra, and then, uh, you know, becoming part of IS and then becoming part of IS's section for international operations, which is a very uh, important explanation why Belgium has faced such an elevated threat recently. Mm. And, and I suppose Belgium is a, one of the key examples that you could use to say that it, there's there's a tendency to focus on the local rather than looking at the broader international level um, because there has been a lot of focus on the Molenbeek area uh, when you're looking at these uh, uh, at these Belgium at this Belgium threat um, but if you're only focusing on that you're not getting the full picture I, th I think it's the perfect example and, and you know uh, we, we, we after the attacks in in Paris and then Brussels in 2015-16 by the Abaoud network, you know, all of the the world's media were gathering in this suburb, and 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 it is true there has been uh, a lot of uh, jihadi militants coming out of this particular uh, area historically and lately, uh, but but. If you look at the the, the, the cases, 
and look at the broader networks of these cases, you also see multiple links to other areas and and to to London and to you know to to uh, to, to other networks in other European countries such as France uh, or even Scandinavia. Mm -hmm. uh, so so uh, and 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 th there's no doubt that there have been you know. Uh, um, a, a lot of you know both socio-economic problems problems of integrations uh, and such related to this uh, this suburb uh, which has been documented in in multiple reports um, and also that uh, it, it is equally true that that jihadists have exploited uh, these opportunities to recruit among misfits from that area uh, at the same time uh, to declare Molenbeek as the the uh, terrorist capital of Europe, as as was, you know, done uh, <laughs> uh, extensively in the wake uh, of, of the the attacks by uh, by the Abu network, um, it it was it, it was just uh, an over focusing on on that area, and and uh, uh, the other drivers. Uh, behind those attacks and, and, and the other circumstances of the, those attacks uh, uh, fell into the background. Mm. Yeah, no, the, this is, uh, it's again, it's, as you said, it's it's one of the key examples of this to, to show the importance of looking beyond the local as well. Within your research, you talk, and as we've, we've seen from our chat so far, you talk a lot about the, the social networks uh, surrounding it. So do you, uh, what do you feel about, like, is there... In your in your opinion, is there such a thing as a as a true lone actor terrorist? Then uh, the, the, there are some examples, uh, or I, I have found examples in in my studies of, of people who have where where or, or or militants or attackers, where I couldn't find you know any documentation that they were part of something. Um, this. Uh, UK Bengali girl Roshnara Shodri, who uh, stabbed the the parliament, uh, the member of parliament Stephen Timms, 2010, is one such example. And and Ayrid Uka, who, who, who the the Kosovar who uh, shot at American soldiers at Frankfurt Airport, is is another which I refer to in my in my book. But but usually, <clears throat> there's. Uh, there, there, there's, or, or the main pattern is that the the lone wolf kind of uh, actor is almost non-existent in in the material that I have surveyed, at least. So, and, and also, um, uh, I think perhaps the best example uh, I can think of in this respect is is uh, the case of Mohammed Mera. Who, ex who executed attacks against uh, French soldiers and also shot uh, children at the, at the Jewish school uh, back in 2012 in France. He was, you know, also portrayed as a lone wolf uh, in the immediate uh, uh, wake of the attacks uh, and, and for quite some time. And, and some even talk of him as a lone wolf today. And if you know anything about that case you know it's it's as far from the truth as you can come right he was uh, 
extensively connected to networks within France, to networks he was traveling throughout the Middle East, uh, making lots and lots of contacts within jihadi networks. He was uh, going to APAC, he was, uh, uh, he got in touch with Al-Qaeda elements there. He received the uh, instructions, or at least he, that they uh, provided, him, provided him with a mission. Although he, he himself took some uh, personal decisions to change uh, or, or to, uh, with regards to target selection and such. Moving on now, what is, do, do you feel the future holds uh, for Europe in relation to these threats? Do you see it sustaining or do you see it changing in any way? Uh, I mean, uh, I, I've tried to keep track of the the various uh, plots and incidents uh, up until now, and uh, I have never counted more plots plots than we we saw in 2017. Uh, it was a very high level of terrorist plotting in 2016, um, and uh, also. We have never seen more uh, attacks be, be, be becoming executed, you know, and that they went under the radar of, of the security services for various reasons, uh, mostly because the, the terrorists operate in, in, in operating ways that are hard to detect, you know, using single actors, using simple weapons and such. Um, I see very few signs of the threat abating any, anything uh, anytime soon. You know, the pattern has been historically that after we have seen spikes in attack activity, uh, there, is a, there is a drop in activity, and then it, it uh, goes up again. Uh, and this, this has to do with many things, but, but, but of course, uh, after you have a, a period of high attack activity, more researchers are, more resources are set in on stopping uh, the terrorists so and you know people get arrested the networks are to are disrupted and, and such so so this uh, top is is usually followed by a down, downturn uh, we might see this uh, you know this year or the coming uh, couple of years uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it might, you know, flatten a bit, uh, but I still think we are going to see substantial attack activity. Um, and the main reason for for that is that is that uh, the foreign fighters are important in uh, shaping the threat, uh, because uh, most of the plots and at least the most uh, serious plots and attacks uh, are either have either been executed by people who have returned or people who have received online directions from people who have been foreign fighters with IS lately. So, so and, 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 you know, the share number of European <coughs> uh, recruits for, uh, for, you know, Syria and, and Iraq Estimates vary, estimates are varying between four to seven thousand. Uh, tells us that this is hardly over. Uh, we will uh, probably have to live with an elevated threat for the foreseeable future. I think. And 
how should we counter it then? I know you're saying we, we need to, to live with it and it echoes what uh, Richard English was saying a couple of episodes ago. Um, but what way should we look about dissipating that threat and weakening the threat? Uh, how how we we should approach the, the problem? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, at least um, uh, in the situation we are in, where we have a, a very high uh, attack act, uh, activity, very high level, um, and we also see, uh, you know, uh, serious trends of polarization over uh, immigration, uh, over Muslim immigration. Uh, we see rise in, in, in far-right activism, at least. Uh, it, it's, uh, this is, of, of course, something that, you know, uh, if you are thinking long-term, if, if I think the attacks uh, are uh, really uh, you know, uh, incre increasing this polarization, uh, which is something that worst case could lead to political instability. So, so, so it's it's more important than ever to to try to keep the attack levels down. You know, to 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 just uh, drop these networks that uh, manage to to execute uh, highly lethal attacks, as we have seen. Over the last few years, and uh, the most immediate uh, um, uh, measures that need to be taken is, is uh, at least according to to the analysis that that uh, emphasizes the role of entrepreneurs and networks is to disrupt the networks, um, uh, kind of uh, disrupt the links between entrepreneurs and the groups in the conflict zones. Um, we we know that foreign fighters affect the threats in a negative way. Um, there should be a total ban on any type of foreign fighting. Uh, th these are kind of immediate measures that need to be taken, uh, and it, and it's not like um, something that's obvious because uh, <laughs> we. we we have seen the exact same patterns in the 1990s, in the 2000s, and still, you know, uh, we, 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 we saw that people like Anjum Shodori were able to to build and then mobilize uh, his networks out of the UK until very re recently. And so that's that's what um, what we should be looking at in the future, and and. How to how to to tackle it? What does the future hold for you and your research? Where is your research going next? Are you continuing on this project, or will there be something else you'll focus on? Uh, I'm 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 doing some more work on entrepreneurs, more in general, not only in Europe, but uh, but also in in other parts of the world. So I'm 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 trying to understand more what produces an entrepreneur. Uh, what's their characteristics? Uh, what are the different types? You know, not only those who entrepreneur attack cells, but also uh, people who mobilize more broadly. Uh, people who who kind of are the thinkers and and and, 
and, and also the shakers and movers in in the movement more bro broadly uh, so that's, that's that's one activity and also uh, I, uh, I I have some more, more focus on the Middle East uh, looking at kind of jihadism in in Middle East countries post ISIS so so that's that's also one one uh, one activity I uh, know I'm looking forward and I'm sure a lot of our listens, listeners are looking forward to to seeing the results of, of this research. And before we go, uh, it's the way I finish up all the interviews. How do you feel the overall health of terrorism research is at the moment? Uh, I think uh, at least there's, there's a lot of activity. Uh, there's a lot of, of studies coming out and that's a good thing. Uh, there are different disciplines in, uh, involved, more disciplines involved. Uh, more researchers are looking at terrorism and extrem extremism, which is uh, necessary and, and, and very good. Um, one of the challenges, I think, or a main challenge, is uh, data access and, uh, and data re 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 reliability. Um, I think uh, we need more and better databases, uh, at least to improve the quantitative uh, studies that look at terrorism. Um, I, I have experienced this myself. You know, when I when I when I um, use databases such as the um, the World Terrorism Database and and, and things like that, when I have, have looked at that throughout my career i i see that it, it you know it it couldn't uh, really help me at all when when trying to understand and analyze and and learn more about european jihadism because the phenomenon was almost non-existent in those databases because uh most of of, of or uh, the 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 incidents that, that were registered were uh, almost only um, executed attacks. Mm. So, so, and, and what I have tried to do in my work is is to to build uh, kind of my own data set uh, and and uh, and also include the the thwarted plots because if you look only at uh, executed attacks, uh, you w will not get a realistic uh, idea of the threat level. Uh, and and it's always uh, you know within this field it's it's it's, uh, it's problematic to to gain uh, you know reliable information uh, because it, there's secrecy in, involved there's uh, uh, there's laws uh, in in in, um, uh, in, in you know there the, the, there's laws guiding what type of information you can register about people right uh, so 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 uh, I think one of the major challenges we, 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 we are facing ahead is to, to, to get better data to for uh, for the new studies that that, that look uh, uh, especially those studies that, that use quantitative methods yeah, no, I, th I think this is a, an extremely important uh, point to finish up on because 
it's easy for anyone to just focus on the executed attacks but as you said it doesn't really give the overall picture by looking at the failed and foiled attacks as well you're getting closer to the overall picture um but like other researchers would say as well you also need to bring in the hoax attacks as well so there's so many elements that we need to to consider rather than just looking purely at those at those executed attacks but petra i just uh, go on yeah yeah, and, and it's also the, the issue of, of, of privacy laws, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, in the end, uh, this research, at, at least when you're looking at radicalization and extremism, it's about people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, privacy laws makes it hard to, to study the processes that uh, le lead people uh, to become part of these networks. Uh, so, 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 uh, so, so th this is also something, uh, something that, that that's a challenge for the research community, I think, uh, in terms of, of getting, getting uh, sufficient and, and adequate data uh, when, when, when looking at uh, the root causes and, 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 and you know, the, uh, the various drivers that, that make people vulnerable to uh, recruitment efforts by the networks yeah no I, de I definitely agree and it's it's something that uh that is a it's it's a hurdle that that many a researcher has has uh has fallen at as well and has uh has struggled with and it's something that we have to to constantly consider as well petter thank you so much for for your time today it's been a really interesting and really uh worthwhile interview um for any of the listeners who want to uh, read further about Petter's research or the research that has influenced him. We'll be putting links up to each of these on uh, the on the website uel.ac.uk/teorc. Um, I'd like to thank Maria Dumitrescu who did uh, research for this episode. Jamie Murray, as always, for editing today's episode. And be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking to Professor Richard Jackson about his research and specifically the role that critical terrorism studies is playing in our modern day understanding and research in terrorism. But until then, thank you and goodbye.